Stella made a beat, so it's go time. Welcome back to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. The Core 4 is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. So like, subscribe, download on those platforms. And Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. Find them on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. Lots of great content, a lot of great content on NBA sensations, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr., as well as our bright future Memphis Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me is none other than Nathan Chester, a.k.a. James Harden without the jumper. Shout out Isaiah Downey. But what up, Nate? Well, it's kind of hurtful. Well, you were bringing a tear to my eye there, talking about the bright future of the Memphis Grizzlies there for a minute. But And now you just really hurt my feelings. So we're just going to have to go the rest of the show with that. But James Harden without a jump shot was basically James Harden two nights ago, 13 for 37 from the field, 007 from the field in the fourth quarter. Didn't look like he had a jump shot then. I mean, yeah. But also just goes to show you the – defensive potential of our bright future Memphis Grizzlies. James Harden scores 41 points on 13 of 37 shooting, which is terrible shooting, and he gets tweets talking about how he's continuing his 40-point streak. But when I shoot a percentage like that, I'm a ball hog. I mean, I I, I don't appreciate this. LeBron and I are both two of the most overanalyzed athletes. Here, do you know what? No, here's the thing, Nate. Here's the thing. Next to you, you actually have players. James Harden has Ben McLemore, Austin <laughs> Rivers, and P.J. Tucker on offense. Don't you dare disrespect Ben McLemore like that. He's <laughs> 10 points a game on 40-plus percent shooting three this year. But what's his warp, though? <laughs> you nerd. <laughs> Shut up, nerd. Uh, but, but really, last uh, so as we're recording, last night's game was mad real. Um, and it just really highlighted, for one, the energy – the culture and the swagger of this next gen team and it really just had a playoff atmosphere to it and I saw a lot of playoff elements to it one being just that Dylan Brooks obnoxiousness swagger for one just going freaking ISO going James Harden against his own team and just hitting step back three pointers mm-hmm. and but also to just picking up James Harden all 94 feet and just getting all up in him and this just this was phenomenal it was it was one of those things like do you remember like those guys just like on the Clippers or on the Spurs where you're like oh my god screw this guy kind of like a Matt Barnes yeah I, I know terms the type of like, player that you're talking about and yet Dylan definitely does bring this mean streak this killer mentality that some um, that kind of reminds me of people like Bruce Bowen like somebody who's just going now Dylan's a more talented offensive player, obviously, than Bruce Bowen ever was, but just somebody who's out to irritate you and get under your skin in every way they possibly can, um, that's Dylan. 
But I have a little bit of a hot take about Dylan. I was thinking about it on the drive over here. Have the Grizzlies ever had a better 3 and D player? It, it's it's since, funny. It, since the core four era because, you know, Shane Battier is obviously up there. That's definitely a real conversation. But in the last 10 years, there's really no one that comes to mind that's better than Brooks in, in that archetype. If you say past 10 years, people will argue Shane Battier for that half season that he had. And he was good, but... And His he offensive made, creation, though. Yeah, yeah, of course not. He wasn't a three-level score. He had threes. And that's what he did in Miami after that. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's actually funny you mention that because off the GBB account the other night, I said that Dylan Brooks is the best perimeter scorer the Grizzlies have had since Rudy Gay, but nobody wants to talk about it. Oh, we 100% is, and I don't think there's really any argument to be made. There's no one that even comes close, really. To either Rudy or Dylan, right? They had, um, I guess, Jeff Green. I guess Jeff Green's as close as it gets, and he averaged, what, 13 over the second half of that season when they first traded for him, and I think he may have averaged about the same thing the year after that in 2016. But Dylan's averaging, over the winning streak, he's averaging 20 on 50% shooting and 40% shooting from three. And for the season, he's averaging about 16, about 42% shooting. Um, I don't have the numbers right here in front of me, which you're pulling up for me right now. Thank you, Mm -hmm. sir. That's good. But um, he's clearly the best, the best wing score the Grizzlies have had since Rudy Gay. There's really no argument to be made otherwise. Absolutely. And to your point on the his numbers during the winning streak, he is shooting 41%, 44% from the field and 46% from three, averaging 20 a game. But one thing that catches my eye that I absolutely love is he's taking nine threes a game over the winning streak. The, the less, and he hits them. And the last game I was at was the uh, home game against the Spurs this past Friday night. And there were several times over the course of that game where he had several, oh, no, 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 oh, oh, yeah, yeah, type shots. You know, three dribble pull-ups with a hand in his face from 15 feet. And he can knock those down as part of what makes him a special three-level scorer. But is it better when he limits those difficult mid-range attempts and takes more threes? Absolutely. And that's what he's been doing. Right. And just for reference, um, I'm looking at his splits right now. And in November, he shot 64 threes for the month out of 173 field goal attempts. And then in December, he shot 84 three-pointers of his 211 field goal attempts. And this month, he's already at 62 on 118 uh, field goal attempts. So you can already tell that there's more of that emphasis of turning some of those mid-range twos that were like, oh, no, 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 into like three-pointers that – and I've noticed a lot too. He's getting more in rhythm threes. Mm-hmm. Granted, that's because it's not even just for one the offensive system. I mean, he's letting the game come to him right. the way he did do at the beginning of the season. And one thing I've noticed too is there's also an additional playmaker on the court now, where they're playing Melton more at the two, and they're letting Dylan get more run at the three. So at all times, he's on the court with either Jaw or Tyus at the one. D'Anthony or Grayson at the two, and he's playing the three. So you, that's another playmaker out there, and he's beginning to move up a position, which, I mean, you know me, positionless basketball yeah. connoisseur. I love it. Yeah. But I do like what we're seeing when he's starting to turn more of those contested two-point shot attempts into three-point shot attempts, whether they're contested, off the dribble, whatever. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, 
he's taking the better shot. The one that's going to – I mean, I sound like an analytics nerd when I'm saying this, but he's providing more value cutting down on those two-point attempts and converting them into threes because, I mean, he's been a good three-point shooter throughout the course of the season. I mean, the lowest month he had in terms of three-point shooting was 36% in November and December. Mm-hmm. That's still an above-average – a kind of above-average three-point shooter. So it, whenever you have somebody that's shooting above the league average at three-pointers, you want them taking more threes than you do twos, unless yeah. they're just like a LeBron-level athlete or Anthony Davis like someone or Russell Westbrook, someone who can just get to the goal at rim. And to your credit – He's finally gotten to a point where we really cannot give you crap anymore about writing a six-part series about how Dylan can become an elite role player two summers ago because you look at his raw statistical production, his numbers are very much in line with Chris Middleton in year three. His numbers are very much in line right now with Buddy Heald, not for the season as a whole, but for the like for the last two months, his numbers are very much in line with Buddy Heald. His numbers are on par with Caris uh, Levert for the entire season. There, he can be the elite role player that you envisioned him to be, and whether you want him to be the starting shooting guard of the future or not, next to John Moran, I think Anthony Melton will have something to say about that here in the next year or two. Uh, both will be restricted free agents this summer, so we'll see how that plays out. But could he be one of the best six men in the league if you didn't want to make him your starting shooting guard of the future? Of course he could. But really, uh, I think you and I were very much both in the same boat at the beginning of the season thinking Dylan is a good rotation piece for the future. He's probably the seventh man on a really good playoff team down the road. I think that was generally the gist of what most people who are closely following the team thought. But now... Why can he not be your starting shooting guard of the future? An impressive three-level score. A three-level score the Grizzlies have not really had in the last decade. He's a very good physical defender, almost too physical for his own good. I, is he, I believe he's averaging more fouls per 36 minutes than even Jaron is. Yeah, he, he is. Yeah, yeah, he is. So I don't even need to look that up. I assume that. Um, he obviously doesn't get quite the reputation for it because he's not the franchise player, but it is an issue for him. But he's a raw, he's a rugged physical defender, and you saw that against Houston. So you're looking at a guy who's a 40% three-point shooter for the season, averaging 16 points a game. Your team's in the midst of a six-game winning streak, and you're in the eighth seed of the playoffs. He has been a pivotal part of that on both ends of the court. Why can he not be your starting shooting guard of the future? I'm glad we are coming to terms that there is validity in my six-part series on Dylan Brooks of him being an elite role player. You've been vindicated. I have. But really, like as you mentioned, it's that three-level scoring and defensive potential, but also you got to love the swagger that he brings to this team. Oh, he I- gives you that like crazy madman energy where – Someone actually compared it the other day. I think it was uh, Anthony saying in Sports Illustrated. He was telling me that uh, somebody said that he's guard Joaquin Noah, which is just like his tenacity and how he plays and how he's just a smash mouth player. A better version of the Deion Waiters' irrational confidence. Yeah. And the thing is, ultimately, a lot of the good teams, if they don't have that, like, grand, all the basically the non LeBron, non Steph teams, they had that irrational gunner. And, but also, too, they're channeling that energy to where 
he's adding value if he's not scoring the ball still because he's a rugged defender that can defend either wing position. And um, throughout his win streak, granted, he had two goose eggs in this category, but in three in ha- in three of those games right now, he's had three assists, six assists, and three assists. So he's showing potential as a secondary playmaker. Now, that's one area where I've always liked his potential because he is such an aggressive attacker at the rim. But also, he's just a smart bat. I mean, granted, there are those shots a, where you're like, what is he doing? But he's a smart basketball player. He was a player. four-year basketball player in college, and he, his team, went, Oregon, went to the Elite Eight his final year of college. The man has a very high basketball IQ. And he won Pac-12 Player of the Year over Lonzo and Markel Foltz yep. and Laurie Markkinen. Uh-huh. So he's a good basketball player, and that's actually one thing I've always loved and wanted to see him do is had them use him in like a short roll situation and just letting him attack and play make. Mm-hmm. Because also, too, his three-level score, he can attack out of the short roll, and so you know he's got a mid-range jumper. Yeah. But um, another thing on a swagger, just one thing I love that he does is in post-game media scrums in a locker room, he wears shades for every interview. It's it, so it fits awesome. so much in line with his personality, and I will never forget his quote. I want to say it was from three games ago, and the, the shades just make it all the better when he says it. And he essentially says something to the effect of, and I don't have the exact quote right in front of me, but he says, um, I, I like to get myself going at the beginning of games. And then when, when I get going, it makes it easier for John Jaron to get going. It's a, that uh, I got to eat so my homies can eat mentality. <laughs> I love and then it. And then he says it with the douchebag sunglasses <laughs> on. It was just absolutely perfect. And I thought, you know, this, is the, this might be the moment that I fell in love with Dylan Brooks. <laughs> Honestly, if you hadn't fallen in love with Dylan Bricks before, it is that moment where you're like, okay, this dude's a rock star. And I think there's there's a reason why the Grizzlies are undefeated when Dylan scores 20 or more. They they very well might go undefeated when he scores 20 or more this year. Uh, it's really not a fair stat because he did score 19 at a loss to Milwaukee that they lost by 15 points. But... The numbers are the numbers, and the numbers say the Grizzlies are undefeated when Dylan Brooks scores 20 points. But speaking of love, and speaking of a rock star, it's time to get to the main event. Ding, it's, time, ding. it's time to talk about the player. Yeah, play my John Cena theme song here. It's time to talk about the player that everyone, not just people in Memphis, not just blog boys, not just beat writers, not just radio guys, everyone nationally has been talking about. John Morant. Jaw freaking Morant. That was, it's one of those things, I feel like every game I'm saying that's some of the best stuff I've ever seen. But really, he kicked it to another level last night. I think the best way I know how to describe it is, is through the prism of my dad. Because my dad is a very big Memphis Grizzlies and Memphis Tiger fan. And he's not a fair weather fan, but if a team is not doing very well, he kind of becomes a sporadic watcher. Just kind of this mentality that I have some better things to do and it's not the biggest deal in the world. He texted me last night and I had to watch the second half of the game on a replay because I had an intramural basketball game to go to. And he texts me and he said something that he's never ever said before in all the years that he's followed the Grizzlies and we watch games together. And he goes, this kid is mesmerizing. It, my dad sometimes becomes a sporadic watchers of games. He's telling me I cannot look away 
he is must-see television, and not even just in the sense that the Grizzlies have never had a guy like that, which they haven't. He's must-see television across the entire NBA. You need to get league pass just to watch him. Just him. He's worth the price of admission. Right, absolutely. And I can't think of any regular season basketball season I've had this much fun watching ever. If people people will give you a side-eyes look, like, are you not having as fun as you did at the peak of Core 4? Honestly, no. (laughs) Really not. I loved watching the Core 4 play basketball, and there were so many memories, so much great playoff success. And obviously the playoffs are a different beast when you go to the Western Conference Finals and things of that nature. But on a night-by-night basis, I don't remember ever feeling this type of sense of euphoria that I get watching him play basketball, ever. Right. And it's like what you said. It's it's just different because, for one, this is my brand of basketball that I like. I like that positionless, full of playmakers on the court, um, that free-flowing offense, that pace and space to the dismay of the boomers. I love the amount of three-point shots they're taking, but it's not even – that they're shooting a bunch of threes either. They're also leading the league in points in the paint. So it's not one of those, it's one of those things like if they're not getting threes, they're going to the goal. Mm -hmm. So that's an emphasis on their drive and kick offense. And two, I mean, I think a lot of it is the exceeding of of expectations. I mean, nobody expected them to be, Grant, there's going to probably be a few nights like last night, but there's been multiple nights like last night and we're not we're just now halfway through the season and then it's one of those things where with the core four and the gng like yeah you always had belief you were it's the belief Memphis. you believe that you can do it there was a legitimate hope there was like a legitimate hope not a dark horse shot nothing there is a legitimate shot of winning it all and it's because of john Morant. and the grizzlies have never ever, ever had a player of his caliber or level. And honestly, to be honest, they've never had a player of Jaron Jackson's level either. No. And you know, uh, on Get Up this morning, Tracy McGrady was on the panel, and he said Tra- and he said Jabba Rant will arguably, arguably be not only the face of the league, but also the league's best player in due time. And there's never <laughs> – there's no one that's even been in the ballpark of that conversation for the Memphis Grizzlies. Ever, Zach Randolph had a legitimate case in the 2011 playoffs to say there is not may not be a better power forward in the league right now than Zach Randolph. That's the closest we've ever come to any type of conversation. But there are two guys that you're looking at for the Memphis Grizzlies right now, Jaron Jackson, John Morant, and you're saying these two in small market Memphis – Dark Horse Memphis, the Memphis that has a chance, but it's an outside chance and that window is closing rapidly. The Memphis that needs every single break to go right to just have that chance. Memphis has two guys that are going to be the face of the league. And there's more certainty about them at their age and their time in the league right now about that becoming a reality than there even was about Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant back at their time. Well, Kevin Durant, there's always that certainty. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever thought Russell Westbrook was going to be this good. No. That kind of goes no. to it. And then, no, actually, for that matter, nobody thought James Harden was going to be this good either. No. Um, and that's actually a good point and a good transition to something I thought about today. And I actually took note of it because I'm just like, 
granted, me saying this is maybe a, just a creation of noise, but also just like you have this whole the whole rebuild stuff. Like, oh, they're going too fast. I hope they're not short sighted. Let's take this into account. And there's no such thing as going too fast for them. They maintained this run through until Kevin Durant left the Warrior, for the Warriors. They first won 50 games when both were 21. At 22, they made the Western Conference Finals. And at 23, they made the Finals. Granted, that's probably not going to happen for the Grizzlies because the top of the West right now, and for the short term, is more lethal than it was then. I mean, at that point, they had like a in-prime but aging San Antonio team in prime but aging Dirk and then also like the Lakers that were kind of declining out of there. Could you talk me into a 23-year-old John, a 22-year-old Jaron leading a legitimate title contender? Because think about it. Well, LeBron, the- LeBron's going to be 38 at that time. Um, who knows? Ka- Kawhi is one of the most mercurial personalities in the NBA. Who knows how the Clippers situation will look like in three years. Utah in all likelihood is not going to be good in three years. Memphis and Dallas, Harden will probably, his game will age well. Um, So Houston could possibly be on the outskirts of that discussion in three years. But if you told me in three years that the Grizzlies could be a legitimate title contender at about the same time frame that the Thunder were, it would not shock me in the slightest. If I'm going to run this down real quick, I mean, obviously with the Lakers, I think everything for them depends on the 2021 free agency or 2022 free agency, not in the fact that how good LeBron's going to be. Because I mean, we also know Anthony Davis is going to be really good. I think by that time, LeBron's going to go follow his son. He's going to play one more season with Bronny and leave, and that's not going to be with L.A. But it all hinges on that next star they get because they mortgage their future to get Anthony Davis, and now they're relying on getting another star. So honestly, by 2022, you they could be looking at another Anthony Davis situation, but with brighter lights. Yeah, and Anthony Davis himself, if you look at his long checkered entry history, and you have to wonder, will he still be one of the five best players in the NBA in three years? Probably so, but that's not a guarantee considering everything that he's dealt with. And we went through about a five-year, five to six-year period where the Lakers were trying to re- – rely on Lakers exceptionalism to bring them back to glory to attract free agents. And with their better situations available, um, people have shown they're not just going to drop everything and come to Los Angeles to play. Over the last five to ten years, that's been the reality in free agency. Um, Anthony Davis, he's going to resign with the Lakers this offseason. Do you think he'd do it if LeBron wasn't there? He might, depending on what situation was available to him, but it's far from a guarantee. Right. If you're looking at the playoff picture right now, if you fast forward to 2022 or yeah, 2022 when John it'd be the 20 actually 2022-2023 season when they're going to be 23 years old. Um obviously you said some of uh the Lakers, Utah iffy because how are they going to build around Mitchell? I I don't have a ton of confidence that they're going to do I don't that either. in a, in a high level degree because partially I think they're going to end up paying Rudy Gobert far more money than you could possibly he possibly should be paying for him Yeah, and that's going to um, hamstring them into what they can do over the next few years to speed up to speed up this um, speed up this uh, talk because obviously I don't think these people want to hear about the de- the inevitable declines of the inf- superior teams right now and the inevitable ascension of the Grizzlies yes true 
With the Clippers, I think somebody's going to outprice them for Harrell and or Lou Will, and it's going to hurt their depth because they also mortgage their future for Paul George. Yeah. Freaking stupid, by the way. Different conversation. Yeah. Um, with James Harden or with the Rockets, it just comes around building around James Harden. Daryl Morey hasn't inspired any confidence in me that he can do that. The only um, real threat. Harden at thirty three. Uh, the only real threats I see right now that are in that playoff mix currently is Dallas, just because they have Luka. Luka, Luka will be that trump card. Denver, I'm skeptic. I think it'd be a lot like the Atlanta Hawks. You think they're they have a bunch of um, high end elite role players that are never going to reach superstar status. Put Jokic in whatever tier you think is best, but. Um, Jokic is not a tran- or a franchise transforming star. He's he's not. It all comes down um, to can they get a one B? Um, That's all it is. Yeah, because right now they do. Now that you've mentioned it, they do have some similarities to the 2015 Atlanta Hawks, who are a great team, have a lot of very good pieces. But when they run into Thanos himself, like LeBron James in the Eastern Conference Finals, they got completely outclassed. They didn't have anyone of that tier, or they didn't have multiple guys of that tier who could compete with them when the time came. Right. And in OKC, I like them because they have... They're, they're a total question mark. They're a total question mark, but you you got to love what they already have with Julius Alexander. Granted, we got to see what moves they make with their tradable assets, but they also are in complete destiny of the Clippers' future because they have those draft picks. And we've seen time and time again, it hasn't come to a championship, but Sam Presti can nail draft picks. He can. He's shown that over and over. And it's not even just like the easy Durant Westbrook Harden. That's that was easy. He got Ibaka. He got Reggie Jackson. He got Steven Adams. Um even Terrence Ferguson and Andre, Andre Roberson have been fine role players. Yeah. Roberson unfortunately is hurt, even though he shot the greatest shot in the world. He directed Jeremy Grant too, didn't he? No, he got Jeremy Grant from Philly. That's right, yeah. That's where he started. Um for the Thunder, that's something I think will be interesting over him, and we'll end this conversation quick and get back to Memphis. But um, they, when Devin Booker inevitably demands out of Phoenix, which should probably happen in the next year, the man scored 39 points two nights ago and a 13-point loss to the 8-32 and Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> and that's generally been the trend for him for the last couple of weeks. I feel like that's inevitable. It's going to happen. The Grizzlies could definitely pull some assets for him when the time comes. But when that time does come, the Thunder can get him if they're willing to pay the price because they have more assets to offer than anybody. Right. They can, they can cast together for whatever type of young star they want once the time comes. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, let's just kind of wrap up and just keep this to the 30 minutes that you – everybody's favorite 30 minutes. Well, not favorite. You know what I mean. But um, John Morant's a superstar. John Morant is, for one, the reason why the Grizzlies are in this playoff push right now. He is the reason why people are talking about Memphis. There's a reason why the Athletic dropped a piece that had like the watchability rankings, and he was five in the entire league. He's at, he was in that same watchability tier as Giannis and Luka and Harden and LeBron. The kid is must-see TV, but also the kid is good. Like... And the thing is, he's just getting started. There are still elements to his game and stuff that he can add that can make him even more transcendent. Whether it's 
for one, just the game's going to slow down at some point, and we can see him legitimately average 20 points and 10 rebounds. He's going to also continue. He's going to continue adding that three-point shot because of that fire that everybody's fueled with. Nobody thought I can shoot. I'm going to just start canning threes. Granted, he might actually, it's only like two three-pointers a game, but he's shooting 40%. What if he just keeps on working on it, and next thing you know, he's shooting six attempts a game. He's in that 25-30 range now. Yeah. He's And then also, too, he's going to put on muscle. Uh, Please drop the tweet. Please drop the tweet. You know what I'm... Wait, which tweet? Because I said that he's going to add muscle. Oh, uh, so... <laughs> is the one about Baines? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Um, it said, so when John Moran adds 10 to 15 pounds of muscle over the next two to three years, that means Aaron Baines has about two to three years to live. <laughs> yes. Uh, there was another tweet that I saw. It said, once he does put on those 10 to 15 pounds, uh, John Morant will be the most violent finisher at the rim at the point guard position in NBA history, which Russell Westbrook might have something to say about that, but he'd definitely be up there. But... For John in particular, and there's really nothing you or I could say, no superlative that we can bring up to further put into perspective what he's been doing. He's incredible. He will be incredible for years to come. Do you remember back in 1996, Allen Iverson was a rookie. What was his most famous highlight from that year? The crossover on Jordan. Crossover on Jordan. The NBA needs to see the Memphis Grizzlies and Los Angeles Lakers in the playoff series this year because there's going to be that play. That play is going to happen. I don't know if it'll be in game one. I don't know if it'll be in game two or games three or four. Maybe a game five. Maybe. The Grizzlies will lose that series. They'd probably be competitive in it. They're a talented team, but the Lakers have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Of course, they'll win that series. But there's going to be a couple plays that are going to show you what the passing of the torch will look like. And I guarantee you, if they do play in a playoff series, no matter what it looks like, whether it's a dunk, whether it's a crossover, there will be a play where John Morant and LeBron James are matched up on each other, and he will have his Allen Iverson moment. He will. That gives me chills to think about, but it's inevitable. If they get to that point. That's going to be absolutely glorious. Mm -hmm. And to just... Also, also, just 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 for humor's sake, um, for all of our LeBron fans out there, I just want you to know that if the Grizzlies were to beat the Los Angeles Lakers in a playoff series this year, that would end LeBron James's goat bid right there. <laughs> stop it in its tracks. And uh, I'm going to stop the podcast in its tracks right now <laughs> because we're at the 30 minute. Yeah, what a segue. Um, so, Nate, plug away. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. I don't make any mistakes about my username anymore. And you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Yes, sir. So you can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the blog at SBN Grizzlies. Follow the podcast Twitter at the Core 4 Podcast with the number four, not the word four. And make sure you're liking, subscribing, downloading, wherever on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, or iHeartRadio to listen to every episode of The Core 4, GBB Live, and the 3 d Podcast. And with that, Nate, I'll let you have the honors. Oh, I want to end it with Jaws' quote from last night. 
Yeah. I can't I can't do that, unfortunately. This is a PG podcast. This is a PG podcast. Family friendly content, so we're just gonna say tell everybody about us.